0: Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? We've, we've, we've heard that. We've read it. We've even had some speak on that. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so we've sort of used that as, well, if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. Meaning you're just going to do everything in the word of God because everything in the word of God is commandment. But as we begin to study this and look at it and seek the Lord for it, something hit me. He said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Well, Jesus only gives us a couple of commandments. Let's look at them real quickly. I read them last week, but I like to read them again. And I I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week as a foundational. I am using different versions of the Bible, not because I like them better, but because sometimes when we read we read the same, whether it's the KJV or the NKJV. Um, we often sort of, we hear them so many times we dismiss. So I've chosen to use other translations, uh, not as an endorsement, but hopefully to just, you hear it in different term uh, terminology. Matthew 22, verse 34 in the NLT says, but when the Pharisees heard that he was, uh, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, teacher. Which is the most important commandment. Again, we're asking the question. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What does that mean? What are the commandments of God? What what commandments, if we really love him, what are the commandments we should be keeping, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. And here's the commandment. What is the most important commandment in the Mo- law of Moses? Now, you would think he's God. He's an expert in understanding. Don't forget, at 12 years old, he goes into the to the temple and... The synagogue, and he breaks it down better than anybody, and they're amazed by him. So this is, it's not like Jesus doesn't know the law of Moses. And so this Pharisee is asking him, uh, and, and I love how the Bible kind of throws that in there. He, not only is a Pharisee, but he's an expert in the law. And he asks Jesus, you know, what's the most important law? And understand that uh, Matthew lets us know that this is a trap. And I would imagine his ex- expectation is for Jesus to... At least start with the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, uh, those are the commandments. These are the commandments, right? Uh, start with the commandment, you know, have no other gods before me, and, you know, love the Lord. You know, all the, you know, do, these are commandments, you know, commit adultery, murder, all the, these are the ones I want you to know. And so he's expecting it. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest Commandment. A second one, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now he, then he just doubles down. He says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus just gave us the ultimate foundation. The ultimate foundation is love. Love for God, love for each other. And then, so right, so we, we got these commandments, and then a little later, John gives us this this breakdown. John, the beloved, John, the the, the 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 writer in the in the in the Bible that talks more about love probably than anybody. His epistles are full with love. His gospel is full of love. And so, John thirteen. I mean, he gives us the he gives us some of the most famous love scriptures in the Bible. God is love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. These are big, huge, pivotal love scriptures. And John gives us this, John 13 verse 31. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the son of man to enter his glory and the, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the son, he will give his own glory to the son and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will not be with you a little, I will not be with you only a little longer. I will be with you only a little, sorry. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. I love that. And I kind of went into this detail last week, and I'm not going to go to it quite to the depth I did last week. But here he is. He's going to give them a new commandment. He already gave them the two most important commandments, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the most important of all commandments and which everything and all of Scripture is based on these commandments. But he says, listen, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love each other. I said it last week, and I'll just use it again. But, you know, I can just imagine these guys sitting around the room, right? They just had this big... This big moment, Judas has left the room. Elvis has left the building. And Judas is out there, and you got Peter, and you know, and Peter's the feisty guy, he's the guy. And I imagine Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. And all of a sudden, their interest just peaks to this huge level. I mean, he's about to give us a new commandment. I wonder what it could be. And he gives us the new commandment. Love each other. And I imagine there was a moment there, I don't know if if he said, love each other, and then he paused for effect. But I imagine there had to be a split second where they went, what? That's your brand new commandment? And then he breaks it further down. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And then finally, this is the verse, right? For your love one for another will What's that word? Prove to the world that what? You are my disciples. And Jesus dropped the mic and walked out the room. Because after that, what can you say? So then you go back to my original beginning here. He says, if you love me. You'll keep my commandments. And we always take that scripture and we go down the religious path of, oh, if you love God, you're going to keep all this stuff God has. What were the commandments? If you love me, you'll keep whose commandments? My commandments. What were the only commandments he gave us? Love God. Love each other. And if you want to be a disciple, you got to love. So he doubled down on love by saying, If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, which are about love. So Jesus just put love squared. He he went love to the second, to the third, to the fourth power. He goes, If you love me, you're going to commit my commandments. What are the commandments? The commandments are to love. So you're going to love me by loving. Which then opens up a whole new thing, which I'm not going to get into tonight, we'll get to and later on in the series, is that one of the truest definitions of showing my love for God is to show love for everyone, to show love for those around me. We have had many years where people confess their spirituality and their love for God, but they can't love anybody else. We elevate, and I'm going I'm to do a lot of meddling probably in this series, and I don't mean to do that, but I, I want to, because we have a lot of you know a lot of us here god is working helping us see things and so i've had to, sometimes i have to contrast not to be critical but i have to contrast but for so many years we elevate those who have giftings and overlook those who really truly are l- people who love so therefore because of that we create a culture whose greatest Asset is we elevate those who are the gifted, the spiritual ones, talk in tongues, prophesy, be able to break down the Bible. But if you're a lo- you love people, well, yeah. You know, uh, uh. And so, therefore, what do you do? You create a culture where everybody, instead of esteeming one another, loving one another, looking out for one another, we compete with one another. Because if there's only ten small group you know, leaders in the church, and and there's nine chosen, and there's one spot left, right? Because really, truly, we've been taught, and we've been told, and we've we've created a culture where where if you want to get somewhere in 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 the body of Christ, you've got to elevate your giftings. And these are the things that are, and so, because of that, we, we, can, we can, we, we, we can have people that are in positions, uh, let's be honest, we have people in positions where their gifts far outweigh their character. Where their giftings, and we all know it, you don't have to sit here and act like you don't know, we know that. If you've been around for many years, you know. There are some people where you kind of peel back the layer and you go, really? I know I'm being strong here, but I'm trying to make a point. Because if we really go back to the Bible and we start to look at what Jesus said, if you want to know what's the definition, what am I going to seal you with? What am I going to put my stamp of approval that the whole world, everybody's going to know you're my disciples. What's that seal? Love. Let me double down on it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What's my commandment? Love. So you love me by keeping my commandments of love. You love by keeping the commandments that take the love. So this whole thing is built on this idea. So we've got this, we've got this, we've got this foundation of love, right? And, 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 and we went through last week and, and we talked about it a little bit and I don't want to go back through it again. We talked about the, the taking the love test and, and 1 Corinthians 13, uh, talks about all the things that these are the, these are the fruit of love, right? We've, we've talked about this. At Antioch West now for quite a while now. That that what is the fruit of your life? And the fruit of your life is, you know, you can be a jerk and get people to come to church. Seriously. And let's be honest: for a lot of years, if you filled up a row, and I've seen some of the greatest—and I put this in quotation—soul winners end up falling by the wayside just because they were good at connecting people and bringing them to church. Suddenly, that didn't overlook. There was things in them. And again, if, let, me, let me back up here for a second because I think sometimes when you start talking like this, there's panic sets over. I'm not speaking of perfection, okay? I'm not saying tonight if you have something going on in your spirit and you're working through things and you've got flesh that somehow you're not... I'm talking in generality here. I'm not trying to get in specifics. We all struggle. My goodness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I think that's mostly a daily thing as well. Every person in this room, somewhere, somewhere today, you've fallen short somewhere. Because the Bible says, if you say there's no sin in you, you're a liar. So by saying you have no sin, you've just sinned. So we understand all that. I, I get all that, and I'm 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 putting that over here in this sort of. I'm going to put this over here in that bo- in this box for a second and understand that that I get all that, and I'm not going down there tonight. I want to circle tonight. We 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 kind of talked about the love test last week, and we kind of talked about some application of love, uh, and 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 I don't want to dive back into that. As much tonight, and I really, I want to kind of circle a different way. Again, we're talking about love 360, right? So that means if we're talking about love 360, we're going to talk about love in ways that may not fit in our traditional mindset of what love is. We say, let's talk about love. We're going to sort of talk about these characteristics, but we're talking about love 360. So that means we might look at it in a way that may not fit in your normal idea of what love is, but we're going to circle back around and we're going to tie it back into what love is. But I wanna I wanna talk to a few moments tonight, if I can. And again, we started at seven. There was no music, no worship, so that means I can have a little extra time tonight and you still get out really early. So don't panic if this is a little longer. But I wanna I, I think we need to take a step back for a second. This is something I've really been sort of and this is sort of a a a a, a side note. That needs to be understood so we can get back onto the main topic. We really need to look at a hard look at what we consider to be spiritual maturity. We need to take a long hard look because what we have deemed for years, Brother Joel, and to be spiritual spiritually mature, I'm really starting to question if that's spiritual maturity. Because I say that because I've been around church for a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm not a young person anymore. I'm getting older. In fact, today was a new experience for me. I went and got glasses. Cause I can't see very well. And it's not for reading. I can read fine. I just, everything, like, in the back is fuzzy. Like, fuzzy. If I, it's getting, so, I think it's just, it's one of, and I asked the doctor, said, you know, What's wrong with mine? Because you probably always had this condition, but you, when you were younger, your, your muscles and your eyes could overcome it. You're getting older now. And so I'm officially getting there. I know between my glasses and my gray. I'm, you know, I'm starting to see, see, uh, experience starting to be there. But for, so I, I, come to you tonight. I'm, I'm not a novice. I've been around a long time. I've seen tons of people coming through the door. And, I, and I've started to notice some trends that are disturbing to me, and I start to look at them, and they start to disturb me because, for years, we have labeled people spiritual, and this person spiritual, and this person spiritual, and I'm not saying again this is across the board. When I say certain things, please don't take it as a blanket statement that includes everybody. I believe there's exceptions to the rule, but I, so I'm talking in 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 sort of. In, in in vagueness here to make a point. But I started to realize something that a lot of people that we were deeming to be spiritual, and I use that word spiritual in quotations. I'm just meaning people that sort of had been elevated into the upper echelon of the church, there were some things that started to I noticed in them that over the years just started to that just bothered me. And I'm not saying that They had all these things, but I could see characteristics popping up, and I noticed that these people, a lot of them, were somewhat judgmental. It was almost like the 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 more spiritual you got, the more judgmental you got. And and, and I don't see that. It weren't you weren't more accepting of your brothers and more accepting of those who were struggling. You kind of more looked down at them and a little stronger, like, "What is your problem? Get it together." Again, I'm going to say this across the board, but I, I saw them. The other thing that started to to puzzle me was the more spiritual people got, the more they were less interested in reaching people in the world and they got more interested in just closing themselves off and their circle got really, 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 really small and they only wanted to hang out with really spiritual people and ever talk with really spiritual people and ever do anything with really spiritual people. And all of a sudden, instead of being this thing where we're supposed to be the body of Christ reaching the world. We're supposed to be the, the, like, being like Christ. We get really, really closed in. And I watch people that the more spiritual they got, Brother Neil said, the more closed in they got. We watch these same spiritual people. Not all of them, but a lot of them. The more spiritual they got, the more self-focused they got. The more spiritual they got, the more. And this is the other one that sort of started bothering me. The more spiritual someone got, the more serially, dis, serially dissatisfied they became. They always had something they were dissatisfied about. Church needs to do this more. We need to pray more. We need to do this. We need to find, why, why aren't we praying more? Why aren't we doing more spiritual warfare? Why aren't we reading them? All these things. We're just never. And I started looking at these things, and, and 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 these things started popping up. And and so now, after many years of observation, and then now being in the position where. For, where for Antioch West, what are we what are we striving for what's the goal for us as antioch west what what's our identity what's the maturity in Antioch west West? I begin to dig further and, and look at it further and kind of peel back the layers further and, and 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 one of the things I begin to notice was this is that one of the sides we use for maturity was knowledge. And sort of the depth of knowledge was the real goal of maturity. You need to, gotta get no more, more, more and study more and no more and study more and no more and study more. And if you can't spit out Greek and Hebrew and you can know all the ins and outs and you can't explain the Godhead in 14, 15, 14 different languages and you can't explain all this stuff, you're not mature enough. And so therefore we have a lot of all, we have all this word in us. We're just, we're just inundated with more and more trying to get more and more word. And I'm not, I'm not knocking word. But that's sort of the idea, right? We get all this word, but then I'm looking through all this, and 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 all of a sudden it starts to dawn on me because Paul warned about this. I read it last week. I threw it, but I, I you know what? It's not in my notes. I'm gonna read it again, though, because it just won't it's that, it's one of those scriptures the Lord won't leave me alone with, and I'll throw it in there for you. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse number one. I'm going to read it to you, one of my new translations. I don't think they even have it up there. I like this one. If you want a new translation that you can go to, and I mean this sincerely, try the MEV. It's called the Modern English Version. Some of you that were there the other night, I think it was a leadership meeting, Bishop Wright was talking about. One of the reasons I like the the MEV is because it comes from the Texas Receptus, which is the same text from which the KJV and the NKJV was translated. And so the MEV, so you have the KJV, which is sort of old school, thou, shout, ye, oh. It's like peanut butter. You just have to keep chewing it and chew it and chew it before you can swallow or you'll choke. The NKJV sort of takes that peanut butter and sort of smooths it out on a piece of bread so you can eat it better. Well, the MEV is to the NKJV, what the NKJV is the KJV. It just takes it a whole nother step. There's a lot of similarities. In fact, one of the things I always like to do is compare the good, the, the good, um, I'm, and I'm deviating for a second here, but I like to compare the staple verses, right? Because you know, I want to make sure that we kind of keep understanding. And you have got to be careful with some of these translations because they'll take some stuff and they'll just go, Pew, and you don't even realize you got, you you don't even realize they took a right turn. So I'll give you an example in the MEV. Here's what Acts 2 verse 38 says in the MEV. Because I'll give you the flavor. Now this is not the KJV. This is the MEV. Ready? You'll hear a slight difference but not much. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far away as many as the Lord our God will call. That's almost verbatim, except the MEV does a better job because it translated the word for forgiveness to forgiveness, whereas the King James says remission. Slight thing. Just, I know a lot of you like to dig in all that, and I just thought I'd throw that out there. So I'm going to read the MEV, which I don't even think we have the MEV. I'll read it anyways. First Corinthians 8. Now, I said it last week. But Paul's like in all this intricate stuff in Corinthians. He's talking about all kinds of issues. And he's in this middle of this thing talking about, now it's concerning food offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. And all of a sudden, it's almost like he's writing this and then it just hits him. I need to make this point. And he says, we all have knowledge. And then boom, knowledge produces arrogance. But love edifies. Now, I don't know how that does to you, but to me, that absolutely hits me right here because I'm somebody that I want more knowledge. I want to know more about God. I want to read and know more about him and study to know his word. But the problem with that is you can get to the point where knowledge becomes your God more than Jesus is your God. And then we want to go around and we want to compare how much we know. Well, I know this many verses and know that many verses. And so we have, we have, we have elevated to a maturity level those who know. But just because you know up here does not mean it's in here. If that's the case, some of the people that are most skilled at under, at, at knowing book are in seminaries all over the place. I mean, I'll give you one other. There's a guy that I have, re- I have, I have actually, um, uh, done some of his stuff because he is an expert in biblical culture. He is, uh, he is at, um, uh, Yale, I think mean, is it Yale, Yale University, one of the Ivy Leagues. I believe it's Yale. I don't want to, I don't even want to say his name because I don't, I really, don't really feel like it would be edific, edifying for you to go look him up. But he's a professor at, I believe it's Yale. He is a professor of biblical studies at Yale. Brilliant guy, as far as understanding biblical culture. In fact, I've used him a lot because he is an expert in biblical Roman culture and understanding how the Romans operated in in and around Jerusalem. As far and so, I've 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 dug through some of his stuff because he understands Roman culture extremely well, and that's big in some of the things and sort of the conflicts with the with the Pharisees and all this stuff. And so, I've I've used some of his stuff. This guy knows. A ton of scripture. But if you know his lifestyle. I don't even know if he believes God in God. I believe he's if he's he's I don't think he's atheist, but I think he's almost agnostic. But he knows the word. So if you think it's just the word, that's all you need. Then these this guy should this guy should have it. I mean, he knows he can quote it. Quote it! He has, he teaches a class, biblical, New Testament biblical studies at at Yale University, and he literally goes down every single chapter of the the New Testament and breaks it down. Well, of course, I mean, he must have it all. But this guy, he lives in a, I'll say it this way, because we're we're streaming, he lives in an alternative lifestyle, and that's not judging him, it's just he lives an alternative lifestyle, his, 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 Life is not some, some, something that's centered around Jesus Christ, but He knows the Word. And Paul says, you know what? Love edifies, but knowledge makes you ignorant, puffs up. So we have to be careful that we don't get so inundated with knowledge and desire for knowledge, and we're, 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 I believe in equipping and teaching and You know We've taught and we've equipped and we're going to teach and equip and we're going to teach and equip and Paul was a teacher and equipper and Jesus was a teacher. I'm not knocking teaching, but teaching is not the goal. Equipping is not the goal. It's so that I can have these things ultimately so I can get closer to Jesus Christ. But if all that's not based in the foundation of love, it's nothing. And Jesus said if if all of this is not built on the first two commandments everything all the commandments of the law the moses all the stuff of the prophets is built on these two things these foundations love love it's love and so we have this maturity aspect that we think knowledge is equal to maturity and and the other thing too is is that we we have it we've had a tendency to uh 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 Equate practicality and simplicity with immaturity. What do I mean by that? I mean this. If we can make it deep enough and mysterious enough, it sounds super spiritual. But the great part about that is, if it's deep enough and mysterious enough, then I have no personal responsibility to apply it in my life. I don't care if you can explain to me the infinite God to the 50th degree. Congratulations. But if you can't treat people correctly, your infinite God revelation doesn't mean anything to God or anybody else. And I'm not knocking understanding who God is. I'm saying to this is that we have gotten away from the simplicity of the wall of walking with Jesus. And we have traded that in for the depth of knowledge. So we can go around and go. We can explain the mysteries of heaven. And pat each other on the back because we understand all this, but we can't affect in the world because we can't really truly love. And that's why one of the things I've said before, uh, to people, I've talked to people about, you know, Antioch West, I said, what are the things you guys do? And one of the things I, I like to say is, is that what, what I preach or teach on Sunday, I want to preach, preach or teach it in a way that it can be applied on Monday. I don't want to preach or teach something on Sunday that people go walk out going, man, that was some deep stuff. Boy, that was awesome. And then we got Monday morning going. OK, I have no idea. Are there times and places where we can dive deep into some depth of the word of God? Sure. I'm a deep. I'm a scuba diver. in Jesus, I like to go. De- ask my wife. I'll, 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 I like to drill down. I mean, I'm a deep sea diver, not that little scuba gear stuff where you got little flippers and a tank. I mean, I want the full gear. I want the diver and bell helmet. Put me in a submarine. Let's go down to the Marianas Trench in Jesus. I'm good with that. But you know what? The problem with that stuff is you get some really cool, deep nuggets, but they have no practical application to real life and real life ministry. And what did Jesus do? He walked, he's the great, he's the, he was the great depth of all depths. He walked out and said, let me tell you a story. A guy had two sons. One went wacky, the other one stayed and he was still wacky. But the one that left and was wacky found the way back home. The one that was left and was wacky, he didn't do so good. Sort of, which son are you? He didn't go into the great depths and the, the breakdown of what it means to walk away from God. And he just told a story. Because you know what? Everybody could relate to that. Right. Right. He kept it practical. He, when he said, when he, he talked about the practical, he said, let's talk about love. Okay? If a Roman soldier asks you to carry his pack for one mile, do it for two. Because the first mile is because you have to. The second mile is cause you want to. If, if someone asks for, 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 for your coat, give them your cloak too. Here's some things that real practical stuff. Jesus made some enemies with practicality. So I'm saying all that and I'm not trying to get onto that. So I, I, noticed that there are some, 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 in, some personal aspects to that individually. And I, and I said, you know, that maturity was based off you know these in and some some negative characteristics but i start to realize that there was also some other characteristics of people who were deemed spiritual that, that was they they traded knowledge as the knowledge was considered to be the great the great uh pinnacle that practicality was looked down on I mean, we, my wife and I talked about it many, many times. If, if you just break down somebody and you just talk simply about walking with Jesus and just listening to the voice of Jesus, I'm not talking about people outside. I'm talking about people that are supposed to be disciples of Jesus Christ. They kind of look at you like, really? I mean, you're still back there with this walking with Jesus stuff. You haven't evolved into some great depth. Am I right? Why can't it be as simple as just walking with Jesus? Whatever he says, we do. Whatever we hear, we do. If it gets too more, if it gets complicated in that, Brother Fowler, then it takes responsibility all of me to be able to obey it. And finally, the third thing, which we are changing, and I'm so excited about this. I think we are finally, I really believe this after visiting um, and, and I'm almost there. I've got a couple more to get to. My wife and I have tried to get to all the small groups in the last couple of months, and we're almost there. We've got three, I think, three left, three or four left to get to. But one of the things I'm starting to hear is, and this is one of the things that I love that's changing in our culture at Antioch West is, is that people have stopped thinking that the church is responsible for their spiritual growth. I'm going to say it, I'll just, instead of saying it that way, I'll just say it. The church is not responsible for your spiritual growth. You are. You are. The church is supposed to be there to help equip you, guide you, mentor you, encourage you. But you, you are responsible for your spiritual growth. Because you're the one that's going to stand before the Lord. So I wonder if we could... If, if we had, just throwing this out there, I'm not saying this is a, thus saith the Lord, it's just a thought. I wonder if we change some definitions of maturity, what true maturity is. What if, what if maturity, one of the signs of maturity was someone who had a passion for application, meaning someone who didn't just read the word, but had a passion for understanding it so they could apply it. What if, what if, What if a sign of maturity was the more mature you got in God, the more humble you became? What if the true sign of maturity was humility? I don't know. Think about it. What if one of the true signs of maturity was someone who was mature really really started carrying the characteristics of having a servant's heart? I'm not going to get on this tonight. In fact, I think one of these nights my wife is going to get a chance to share this, so I'll I'll, I'll just skip a rock on it, and I won't go deep. But it's amazing when you try to ask for help in certain areas, how many people, it's like pulling teeth. For a church of disciples, how very few people really want to help, especially if it requires somewhat of a sacrifice on their part. What if a true side of maturity was how much you loved people outside of church, not just in church? Just thoughts. So with that being said, let me get to my part two here tonight. That was part one. Let me get into part two because I want to get this out and then tie it back to love. It's only 743. you're like, my God, he's been going for a while. It's only 743. So... I am um, the Lord's been dealing with me about a, a myriad of different subjects the last month or two and some of them isolated and he's beginning to tie some of them together. Um and there's a there's a, a conversation that I've had and that I have thought through and I have um sort of chewed on and meditated on for a while now. I don't say, I don't come to unite with the answers. I come to unite with just what the Lord's been sharing with me. And I feel like it fits in with our love 360. But for a long time, people have said, you know what? We need to spend our time and our energy and our focus on evangelism. We got to go out and reach the world. That's what, that's got to be our focus. Evangelism. We got to go out and reach the world. All of it's got to be about reaching the world. Then you get this other group. That says, that's a great idea. Awesome. But we really need to focus on discipleship. Because discipleship, we got a lot of immature people. We can't reach the world without mature people. And we gotta focus on discipleship and, 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 you know, so many people in the world in and, and, and church today are so mature. So we've gotta, we gotta get these people disciples so we can go out and reach the world. And so we've separated this, this is, a, there's a separation because we, we, we evangelize, but then we disciple. And so we've separated these two and we've kind of make them sort of equal. Either we're gonna focus on evangelism or we're gonna focus on discipleship. And 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 the other knock is, you know, if we really focus all on evangelism, we're really going to produce really shallow Christians. Because we will never get to go to deep places in God. We're never really going to go really into depth. We're not going to have powerful, in-depth, deep moves from God. Because we'll be all about evangelism. And that's, you know, so we've got to, we've got to, evangelism is good, but we really got to get deep in God. We've got to, we've got to really work on discipleship. And so because of that, we kind of have this sort of separation of some things. I believe the Lord's kind of helping me a little bit bring these back together again. And why I will agree that overall, there is a lot of immaturity in the church. I cannot disagree with you on that. And I agree that there is a lot of people in the church that talk the talk but don't walk the walk. This, this is not an argument. I think for a lot of us we are about 3000 bible verses overweight spiritually. I I and I, and again this is not the knock on word and teaching word. You're not going to find a bigger proponent of word and teaching word than I am. But I think because of the idea that we can get so focused on the discipleship deal, we got to be disciples. We got to focus on discipleship. When and when I become a disciple, I'm going to go evangelize because I'll be a disciple and I'll be able to evangelize. Because of that, I believe we're probably about 3,000 verses overweight for most of us. And again, because of that, it produces this culture where we have, we have edif- we have elevated knowledge and we have de-emphasized love. Because we've got to get knowledge. So if we get knowledge and all this. But then this sort of, you know, you read something, you read it, you read it, you read it, you read it. And you think, you know, it, and you think, you know, it, and then something so simple just jumps out at you. And you're like, how did I miss this? Can you put up on the screen for me? Matthew 28. Let's just for the fun of it. Start in verse 15. And can you have it in the NKJV? If you could. I'd look it up, but you can help me out here. And i I'm 15 might be a good jumping. Yeah, let's start there. It's good enough. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Next verse. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to him and spoke to him. Now, now slow down for a sec, because I want to make sure... Cain is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Next verse. And here's the verse, ready? Because we know this verse, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Next verse. Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded of you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And I'm like. I've read that verse. We've quoted that verse. I've debated that verse. I've argued that verse. I've I've got it. I got that verse. And I'm reading through the other day, and I got to that verse, and of course, I'm reading. Why do I need to read this verse? I can quote this verse. Between Matthew 28, 19, Acts 2, 38, and Genesis 1, 1, I've got those covered. I don't need to read them again. And I'm reading it again, and it hit me. Go back to 28, 19. Jesus said, here's the great commandment, right? Now, we know this is not all of the commandment. We get caught up on Matthew's Great Commandment, but we understand that there's actually four parts of the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. This is the Great Commission. I say the Great Commandment. There's, this, this is considered the Great Commission, but we understand that there's actually four parts of the Great Commission. Matthew has a Great Commission. Luke, Luke's, Luke's Great Commission comes in Luke 24. He says, go and preach forgiveness of sins in my name. John has a Great Commission. Mark, all of these guys had a Great Commission. Matthew's, I guess because it's first, has sort of been elevated to the top as the only one. But it's only one. But here's the word that just jumped out at me. And you probably already know it. And you and Jesus have got this. But forgive me for catching up late to the show here. Go therefore and what? Thanks. Make disciples. It hit me. He actually never commanded me to be a disciple. He told me to go and make disciples. I'm not negating Being a disciple. But the whole point of the process that Jesus did. Was to make disciples. And this hit me. The great commission. Is at its heart an outward movement. And could it be that the act of making disciples. Is really who Jesus designed us to be. And it was the act of making disciples. That will help further transform us into being a disciple. And can you truly be a disciple. If you're not involved in making a disciple. Because if you are not involved in making. You really have no reason to be. And if all you want to do is be and you're not making, then how do you really know if you are? There is a an article some of you have have read. Many of you have shared with me. I've probably gotten this article sent to me, I, I imagine, 10 times. It was an article about the fastest growing church in the world. Fastest growing church in the world according to this article, has no building. Fastest growing church in the world. Didn't have a leadership. Doesn't really have any leadership, central leadership. It's the fastest growing church in the world. And it happens to be in the country of Iran. And this article goes into the depth of all of the fruit that's coming from this, that uh, that there is a huge underground movement in Iran, and a lot of which is even more powerful that a lot of this um, movement is is led by women, which, if you know anything about Muslim nations, and that's a very big part of it. It's huge; it's growing fast. But they were interviewing a person that was um, a part of this, and that is, uh, he made the statement, and it really hit me. It just hit, one of those things you read it, and it just just hits you. It just hits you in your spirit. They made this statement. He said, he was talking about discipleship and, and their viewpoint of it. And again, this is Iran and I've been to Muslim countries. I minister in Muslim countries and, and even if you're in a Muslim country, the rules and the, the, the laws are so strict that even in a Christian gathering, you have to be careful what you say and how you say it. I was in Pakistan twice. Pakistan is, 97% Muslim, 3% Christian. It's illegal to evangelize a Muslim. Illegal. Punishable by death. And even in the church, when I preached, I was set down by the missionary and he was very kind. Brother, you was there. He taught. He's So he can verify this. He was there. He was. He set and he went over very kindly how you were to approach what you can say, what you can't say. It was stressful, too, because I mean, I'm a little loose cannon sometimes and I'm like, slow it down. The good thing is when you're talking with a translator, you say something, they translate it. It gives you a chance to sort of slowly gather your thoughts. So you don't say something that you regret or get you chased out of town, literally. So this is the climate. And this guy made this statement in regards to this, this, uh, 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 this Christian movement in Iran. That is having such a massive effect. And he made the statement and it just hit me. He said, we don't convert to disciple. We disciple to convert. Now, I know for some of you, you're like that. What? That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Let Let me let me roll back the tape and play it for you again. Nice and slow. We don't convert to disciple. We disciple to convert. What does that mean? What is truly at the essence of discipleship? Discipleship is. A taught or trained one, someone who is trying to become like someone else, in this case, disciples of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Is that means we don't think that discipleship process starts until conversion happens. So because of that, we dismiss everything pre-conversion. And until that person is converted, anything that happens up to that is sort of, eh, you're not really a disciple until you're converted. Instead of meeting them where they are and letting their discipleship journey begin from where they are. And in that discipleship journey, there will be conversion. But you can convert and usurp a discipleship process. And you can. And the problem with that is that produces a culture of pressure. We're all under pressure. We got to go out and convert people convert them to our faith get them to believe our faith get them to believe so if we walk up to somebody and and we have this conversation right you walk up to somebody and they, and they see the scripture differently than i do instead of engaging them where they are and build a bridge we want to start debating to them where they're in error you see six gods i see one god you're wrong and by the way you're probably going to burn in hell you were baptized in, in, in the name of the Father, Son, and Jimmy Dean? Sorry, doesn't work that way. It wasn't valid. We negate everything because we all of a sudden, am I not saying that you, that, that baptism in the name of Jesus and in filling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence speaking in tongues, it's not at the conversion experience? I'm not saying that. Back off and listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying we've got to start people where they're at. And that doesn't mean people who don't know anything. That means people that know more word than you do. If you don't think there are people out there that know more word than us, you haven't been around a lot. I come across some people that, man, word, they can spit it out. And Christian character, God-like character, they got it. And if I walk up to them, Chris, and I say, but you got to be converted. I've lost the battle before it began. If I get into a debate, I'm telling you, I, I don't know. Brother Yu is, is, a, is a poster child for it. And I mean this because he came out of a, a faith that was very staunch, very much. The faith Brother You came out of, they were Bible-believing to the 50th degree. And no word, man, they no word. Is that a fair assumption, Brother Yu? No word. But Brother Yu, sitting here tonight with all the things God has used him for, was not one because we debated him to death. He didn't win because we finally convinced him his way was wrong, our way was right, because we won the debate. And we wanted to get in debate. I remember hearing Brother Yu, and if I'm correct in this, if I'm if I'm incorrect, Brother Yu, you can, you can fix this. But one of the most powerful things that stuck out to Brother Yu in the whole process was when Bishop Wright was, was talking with him, he never discredited the fact that Brother Yu had been baptized. Even though he wasn't baptized the way we believe baptism should be in the Bible, he actually validated that that was a powerful step. Did that mean we're changing? We're so afraid of, we gotta, we're not, we're not misinterpreting, but we're not trying to convert the disciple. We want a disciple to convert. Where you are, where people are on your work, you can start the discipleship process right where they are. Because nowhere does it say to be a disciple, you have to have been converted. A disciple is someone who's trying to be like Jesus, on his way to like Jesus. They may not have gotten to the conversion process yet, but they're on their way. And so that's why, when you begin to look at this, we can't separate discipleship and evangelism. Because the discipleship doesn't start after evangelism. Discipleship and evangelism go hand in hand. But we've separated the two because we evangelize to get people in so we can disciple them instead of saying discipleship and evangelism the same way. Why? Because Jesus said, if you want the mark of discipleship, this is the mark. Love. So the moment I start connecting someone in love and I start connecting them to Jesus in love, the discipleship process has begun. Amen. I'll be as bold, Brother Jack, as to say this. The moment you stepped in that lady's house that you testified to the other night and you shared a, you know, on some Sunday morning and you shared with her the simplicity of the love of Jesus Christ and you prayed with her and you walked out and you turned her and said, ma'am, Jesus loves you. The discipleship process started in her heart. Because if I'm going to get them converted in the water, the first place to conversion has to start is love. Because you know what? Let's just pause for a moment. And again, I'm not going to be very long. I'm getting I'm halfway through part two. So have, 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 have hope. I'm learning this, that one of the true marks of true discipleship is getting it wrong. One of the true marks of being disciples, getting it wrong, because you know why? Peter, go back and look statistically. That guy, 50% of the time, I don't know if it was exactly 50, could have been 48.2, 53.6. But just about 50% of the time, that dude was either saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, or going the wrong place. But Jesus never discredited his discipleship journey. So we cannot mark the true place of discipleship by how much you get right. Let's get that out of the way. We're not trying to make a church that everybody's getting it right. In fact, the more we we have a church that has a lot of messed up, that's the more sign that we are on the discipleship journey. Here's why. Because you know why? The more a church is truly in the discipleship process, the more that church is going to be messy. And morally messy. Let me ask you this. I'm going to describe to you a place a church and you tell me if this is a church you want to attend. Okay. So in this church, it's got a lot of immature Christians. There's also a lot of people in this church that are swayed by powerful personalities. There's a lot of people in this church that are sexually active outside of marriage. There are people in this church that have some seriously questionable business practices. Uh, there's a lot of people in this church that are ended up in broken families. There's a lot of people in this church that are really swayed by the culture around them. Um, there's a ton of people in this church that have no clue how to conduct themselves in worship. And there is a lot of people in this church that even question some core doctrines. Sounds like a great church, doesn't it? I don't want to be a part of that church. Too many people in that church. Go read Corinthians. Everything I just described to you there was the Corinthian church. Paul didn't kick them out. He didn't ask them to turn in their card. He taught them. He journeyed their journey. This is the you want to talk about. This is the stuff that Paul dealt with in the Corinthian church. People being swayed by personalities, sexually active outside of marriage, questionable business practices, broken families, swayed by the culture, not knowing how to conduct themselves in worship, and people questioning core doctrine and stuff. This is all stuff Paul dealt with in Corinthians. And we want a perfect church. In fact, I would say at the place, and this is not a knock, this is an observation, I would say probably we haven't had, Mother Owens, we haven't had a lot of those crazy stories like we had back in the day. Because you know why? We've gotten real sophisticated, real spiritual. But back in the day when this church was affecting this town and everybody in this area knew Antioch, they didn't like us, but they knew us. They may not have liked us, but they knew us. I mean, there was stuff about, you know, we were up here dancing with snakes and I mean literally, this was the stuff. But at least they knew we existed. Why? Because we were a proactive church, especially for the first ten years when we went from two people to a thousand. And there was some stuff, brother, that happened in those years. I've told the story before. It's my favorite one of all time. There was this guy coming and for a while and and uh He'd sit on the front row a lot and he was Jesus. He, that was, he was convinced he was Jesus. And so Jesus had been coming to church for a while. And one night, this is, I'm telling you, this is the case. This is no joke. One night, Jesus is on the front row and sure enough, I don't know who invited him, but Simon Peter showed up in the back. This is true stuff. And in the middle of Church old Peter decided he needed to get a word out and Peter stood up and said I am Simon Peter and I've been sent to the church to deliver a message and in the middle of that oh Jesus decided to jump in. And Jesus stood up, turned around and looked at Peter and said, you're not Peter. And Peter said, yes, I am. He said, no, you're not. He said, because I'm Jesus. And if I'm Jesus, I should know you're Peter because you're Peter. And you're not Peter because I don't know you. And Peter sat down. <laughs> Case closed. He what? Literally happened. Literally happened. He didn't know He wasn't Peter because Jesus didn't know him. And so Jesus said, you're not Peter. I don't even know you. If you were Peter, I would know you. And Peter sat down. That was it. No usher had to get him. Nobody from the pulpit. Jesus went ahead and took care of everything. Jesus came through. Hallelujah. And that's the kind of stuff that happens. But that's a true sign that we're reaching people. We need a little wackiness every once in a while. We need some of that. Why? Because that's the true sign that we are a church that's reaching people. And we're thinking we're going to get to a church where everybody's going to, we're going to have a church that, that's got all kinds of, no problems, man. Well, your small group's going to have people in it that are all, all buttoned up. That's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of the church like described in Corinthians. I want a church where we have people that are all over the map. I want, I want a church where people don't know how to behave all the time. I want a church where people aren't following the moral code set before them. I want that. Why? Because it proves we're a church that's reaching real people. We're not trying to reach a certain group of people. We're not trying to reach the buttoned-up society. We're trying to reach everybody. So sometimes being a disciple, actually, a lot of times being a disciple means you're getting it wrong. And sometimes the greatest sign that we're making an impact in this world is the messier the church gets, the greater impact, I believe, sometimes will happen. We got a clean church. We got all kinds of people that are, and I've been a part of times like that where everybody was just, I mean, you came in and you looked across the crowd and everybody, there wasn't one person that stuck out. That wasn't a time to pat each other on the back and go, wow, this is great. That's a time to look around going, we have missed the boat big time here. We walk in and everybody looks the same and everybody's dressed the same and everyone's in there. And we go, wow, we are awesome. Look at our church. No, 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 no. We need to look around and go, we need to get on our face and pray because we're not affecting anybody. We need some church. We, we need, we need, a, we need a Sunday mornings and, and, and small groups where people are coming in and they're dressed in all kinds of wackiness and there may be times where, where there may be things happening around us that we gotta be mature about and not be distracted by. Why? Because we're living in a real world. A real world. My wife and I, and 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 we're talking real here, and I'm being recorded, and I guess that's okay now. That's why we're red, so they could see me. Hey, I'm not trying to hide. My wife and I have had a lot of conversations like about this. And one day we were driving to driving to Crofton, and uh, on the way to Crofton, we have to we have to um, cross. um, uh, We have to drive by the Mac Church. We're driving by the Mac church and, and I'm not, this is not a knock on the Mac church. This is just an observation. And, um, we were driving by and I must've been there early. They have a couple of services and I must've been the early service. And there was a group of, there was a group of bikers. Leather jackets, leather pants, tattoos, long hair. I mean, just they looked—they were—they are were bikers, and they were all pulling in to the to the Mac Church to go to church. And the thought hit her, and later she had talked uh, shared it with me, and it really hit me: Would those guys be able to walk into our gathering and not feel like they just walked into a place they didn't belong? that doesn't mean I'm going to show up next Sunday in a leather jacket, leather pants and a bandana. I ain't doing that, all right? Tattoos for Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not saying that. Yeah, exactly. Some of some of the guys went, "Yes, finally, my leather pants. I'm coming out of the closet." I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying, but but my point is, if we get so much like this, religious institutionalized Christianity where we look so good and so perfect that we lose connection with the real people and the real world that really need Jesus. Because you know what? The problem is in a lot of ways society teaches us that maturity is linear, right? So a 13-year-old should be more mature than a 3-year-old. Sometimes that's debatable. 23-year-old should be more mature than a 13-year-old. Debatable, but should be. 33 should be more mature than 23. 43 should be born. 53, it's sort of this linear progression. But you know what? I've learned in God that maturity is really not linear. I mean, use a word we've used a lot, but maturity and God's very organic because God will work in maturity over here and he'll work over here and then he'll, he'll leave that alone for a while and kind of go work over here and maturity there. And then, and then you get people that are church for the church for three or four years that are really mature and more mature in some ways than people that have been in church for 15 years. Because we've marked maturity as how long you've been in church. Well, you've been in church for 30 years. You must be mature. I've only been in church for five years. You're immature. It didn't work that way in Jesus. It didn't work that way. And so I'm saying all that to shape the fact that, that, that we're looking at all this. But at the core of all this, it comes back to what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. What were his commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And oh, by the way, just in case I didn't get the message, let me add a new commandment. Love each other. Even as I have loved you, love one another. And let me just put the final stamp on the whole deal. By this, you will prove to the world that you're my disciples, that you've got love one for another. And if we're going to have the mark, the true and first mark of discipleship as love, then the true first mark of making disciples needs to be love. It's all love. If this is built in anything... I, I know it there have been times where I've had to, the the Lord has had to work on my motives I say some things because not because i i i'm condemning I say things because I've fallen in that trap i there are there have been times I said it hasn't been now the Lord's work worked through it with me and I'm thankful for it but I remember for years Of living under the pressure, living in the pressure of, I've gotta, I've gotta go out and win the world. I've gotta go out and win souls. I've gotta be fruitful, fruitful, fruitful. And so when I would try to, when I would teach a Bible study, I was teaching a Bible study. So hopefully that person get baptized and feel the Holy Ghost so I could show everybody, Hey, look, I'm just being open with you. I mean, I, I, I'd invite somebody to church and I'd hold my breath. They'd show up. And when they did, it was awesome because I could like show off my shiny new toy to everybody. Look, I brought a guest in the school. Really, I I, I, I mean, sometimes I hate to say this. Whether or not they understood anything or even got anything out of it didn't matter to me. I brought them. Wasn't that good enough? And and, and you up there that's preaching. That's your job now. I got them here. You take care of the rest. But I at least got them here. You know, you're so good. I live like that. I know it's like. I know what it's like to be able to, to get a, a stack of 14 million flyers and go out and pass them to pass them out to people. Never look them in the eye. Never ask them their name, but give them flyers. Hopefully they'll get to church and then leave feeling like, well, I've, I've witnessed and shared the gospel today. And be able to walk in church. It. I'm just being real transparent here, okay? I'm throwing myself under the bus. Hopefully the Lord's. Work with me and if he'll work with all of us. But I can come and lift my hands and go, God, I love you. And, and I'm doing your will, Lord. And I'm, I'm rich in the world because yesterday I, I knocked 30 doors. I couldn't tell you one name of anybody I met. Couldn't even tell you if they had any needs. But I gave 30 people 30 flyers. Never showed up. Never saw anything. They never experienced Jesus. But hey, I did my part. Because that's what we deemed to be evangelism, witnessing. We do that. But Let me read this to you real quick, and I'll I'll end this with you. I'll end this tonight. I was going to keep this, but oh, well. The Lord knows, and I'll come back. Oh, where is it? It's a story in the scripture. Ah, there it is. I'll read it to you. I love this story. I'm going to use it later, but I'm going to start it now. And I got just a few more minutes. Then Jesus entered. This is in Luke 19. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a rich man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. I love sometimes Bible. The Bible cracks me up. Why do we need to know that? It just was like furthering this whole deal. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Meaning not only was he a chief tax collector. But he was good at his job. And he was making money. And who was he making money off of? The Jews. So it's like a further stab at this guy. Not only was he a chief, you know, it's like he was a mobster and he was loaded. (laughs) Meaning not only was he, you know, like seedy and, and backstabbing, but he was so good at it, he got wealthy. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. I mean, this dude was at the bottom of the barrel and he was good at what he did. I don't know, again, if... who who was telling Luke this story, but apparently whoever told Luke this story was still working through some things because they said, hey, Luke, let me tell you the story. You can write it in your gospel. There was this dude named Zacchaeus, and he was one of them chief tax collectors, and this dude was rich, and Luke's like, "Mm mm-hmm, got it. Hold on. What did you say? Rich? R-I-C-H? Okay, good. Got it. Continue. (laughs) And he sought to see Jesus. Who Jesus was. He only—he was looking for Jesus. He just sought to see who Jesus was. All he wanted to do was get a glimpse. Oh God help me tonight. I'm going to just try to give you the skip version. Because I don't want to get too deep in this. Because I want to come back later. But it's whole hard. I want to preach it so bad. This is just the Lord's working over me. So just got to pull it back. He just wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. But he couldn't because of the crowd. And a lot of that crowd. You know who a lot of that crowd was? Church people. Church people were so busy trying to get near Jesus, they couldn't even recognize there was a guy in the back that was that was just trying to get a glimpse. Because they already assumed, because he was a tax collector, he was rich, he had no business seeing Jesus. So they were crowded around Jesus, trying to get theirs, not worried about those around them. And here's what happened. So he climbed up in a sycamore tree. For he was going to pass that way. He knew Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him. Now watch this. He looked up and he said to him. Hey you. Come down here. What did he do? This. I don't know how I got. I know some of you have just got it. Thank you for letting me catch up tonight. I, I, the Lord just brought this back to me. A couple months ago. and studying. He looked up to him and what did he say? Zacchaeus, he called him by name. Either the spirit revealed his name or he asked somebody, hey, who's that guy? Well, that's Zacchaeus, you know, the rich tax collector. Somewhere he called him by name. He said, make haste. Come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw him, they all complained, saying, he is going to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Oh, God, help me stay focused. There's so many things I want to get to, but that's another date. Then Decaeus stood and said to him, Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. They didn't even realize who the guy was. They judged him because... Of what they saw. They didn't realize there was some stuff in that guy's heart. Tax collector. You traitor. And you're getting rich on us. He said. Hey Lord. I give half of my stuff to the poor. They just assumed because he wasn't in their mold. And he was a traitor. That he must be a bad guy. I give it all. I've taken And, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. What? This dude was, this had, this was a tax collector. This guy was a, was, was seedy. He's a traitor. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. And this is the scripture. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I finish with this and I'm done. I said this to the small group leaders two weeks ago, and I will say it to us as a body, and I'll probably hear it more and more as we get going. If Jesus came to seek and save, and if we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ, everything we do should first and first and foremost go back to the seeking. We don't do the saving. He does the seeking. We're too busy trying to do the saving. I can't save. I've never I've never forgiven one person of their sin. I've never given one person the Holy Ghost. Can't do it. So if Jesus came to seek and save and we're disciples of Jesus and he wants us to be like him, what's our job? To seek. Seek who? Seek people we can love. Seek people that we can show true discipleship to. We don't convert to disciple. We disciple to convert. How do you start the discipleship process? Card on the table on the desk? Card on the desk of a fellow co-worker. Words of encouragement dropped on a desk to someone who seemingly would have no desire to be, to connect to God in any way, but it's a disciple of Jesus Christ reaching out in love. How many, how many times did you do that before there was any kind of response back? It wasn't the first card, was it? Many cards, many words. Eventually, love wins. And love, piece by piece, chipped away at a hard heart and love began to sink in. And as that journey of love continued, a man by the name of Dennis Sharman found the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Stood at the foot of the cross, washed in the blood, filled with the Spirit. Never forget He was sick, very sick. Became very, in fact, the infection. In his body became very toxic. He was filled with toxins. You had to go in and be fully clothed, fully. I mean, like you had to be really buttoned up to go see him. Got a call in the evening and said, "He's not doing good. Not sure he's going to make it." Can you come up? Sure. I forgot at the time, my wife. It was something was going on with one of our children? My wife couldn't go. I called her the Bickley. I said, "I'm going up to the hospital. Would you go with me?" He met me up there. Brother, sister Owens, Debbie, brother Debbie Cash uh, and Debbie Owens were up there already. Walked in the room. Parents were in the room. Full of gloves on, masks on, hat on. I mean, felt like I was going into surgery. It was. Walked over, he's laying there, seemingly out of it, at least we thought. And i tell you what, it was a sobering and humbling experience, walking over his bed, laying there. His eyes were closed. We weren't sure if he was even conscious. Took my hand on his head, I put my hand on his head. I just whispered. Quietly in prayer under my breath and I just felt compelled the Lord. And I, I reached, I, I uh, bent down, I whispered in his ear and I said, Dennis, you've run your race. You've been a champion of faith. It's okay. Your race is done. Turned around. The little things, beep, beep. I watched that guy step from this life across the threshold of eternity to the hands of a loving Jesus because somebody loved him all the way back when he was just a co-worker. I take no credit for anything like that. It's just amazing to be able to stand there and put my hand on somebody's head and whisper in their ear and watch them Cross the finish line. Well done, Dennis. Well done, Dennis. Well done. But that would have never happened if somebody wouldn't have reached out in love. Long before there was a Bible study, long before there was a breakdown of who God was, long before there was even discussion on baptism, long before there was discussion that you need to be filled with the Spirit, there was cards of encouragement, thoughts of love. Bridges being built. Instead of islands of religion. Bridges of love. And one man's life. And eternity was changed. Because of love. I was sinking. Deep in sin. Far. From the peaceful shore. But love. Lifted. Me. I wonder if we just became a church that we want to be deep in the word. We want to know who God is. We want to know all that stuff. Doesn't and not negating it, but if we became a church that was passionate about loving Jesus and loving each other, we could change the world. They wouldn't drive by Crofton middle school, wherever else we meet and never even know we're there because the world would know because love always Jesus, I know that you are doing a work in us. I know you're calling this body of believers to a place. I can feel the tug of your spirit. I can feel the, 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 the call in my spirit. I can feel you pulling, pulling, and pulling. I pray, God, tonight that, that what I feel in this room, the the the, the power of the your presence that I feel that stepped in this room. I can feel it. I can feel you in this room because when we start talking about love and loving you and loving your body and loving those that died for you, you pay attention. We're not trying to build a church. We're trying to reach and love. You didn't call us to build a church. You called us to reach and seek God, I pray tonight that for those that are in this room and for those that are watching tonight and those that will watch, that there would be a supernatural outbreak of love that would not eros love, not just filial love, but true agape love that comes only from you and only comes as we flow through you. That your love would be the mark of who we are. That we would not be known as "That's Antioch West. They're a church. They're a Pentecostal apostolic. But that's a church of disciples. And why do they know that we're disciples? Because we are a church of love. That we're a church of love. God, I pray, God, that you would challenge us to examine our own hearts. You challenge us to examine our own lives. As we submit ourselves to you and your will and your way and every day that our heart submitted to you and our mind is formed by your word. That we can walk in love and be a conduit of love in Jesus name. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord and let's just seal this word in our hearts for just a moment by just our Connection to him as we lift our hands. Come on, seal this in your heart for a moment. Lift your hands and just seal it. Say, Lord, let the seed of this word be implanted deep in me. Into the depths of my heart tonight. In the name of Jesus, I speak it now. Come on, just another moment here. I feel like the Holy Ghost is in this place right now. We haven't, in fact, no, we haven't, He hasn't come here. We've, we've stepped into His throne room right now. We've stepped into here where He is because when you start talking about love, you, you get out of your world and you step into His world. And, and we just need to take a moment right now and just seal this in our spirits right now. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you tonight for your attention. Thank you for your hunger. I could feel your engagement in the word. Let's continue to walk in this. Let's continue to manifest this in our lives. Let's continue to connect every day with Jesus so that he can continue to work in our hearts and lives as his will is for each one of us every day. God bless you. Let's continue to go forth this week to share the love of Jesus Christ and to love him with everything in us. God bless you.